Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast Series. Today, we have Dr. Jeff Bearden, Superintendent of Forsyth County Schools in Cumming, Georgia, as our guest. He has seen incredible growth in his district over the last nine years, with more than 1,400 students added each year. Well, welcome everyone to the Plexus Educational Leadership Podcast. I'm David Linivers from Plexus, and today we have our very special guest, Dr. Jeff Bearden from Forsyth County Schools in in Georgia. Was it northeastern Georgia? Uh, we're about thirty miles north of Atlanta, David. Okay, I like that. Just to give some people some context about location, and and I understand you're one of the larger school districts in Georgia as well. We are, David, and and, and continuing to grow rapidly. We serve about 54,000 students right now on 43 campuses. Uh, We are the fifth largest school system in Georgia, (laughs) and we have been adding 12 to 1,400 kids every single year since I've been here. This is my ninth year as superintendent. Wow. Uh, When I arrived in September of 2014, we were serving about 40,000 students. We've added about 14,000 since I've been here, which has required us, obviously, uh, to build new facilities to handle the growth. That's probably been the greatest challenge in our school system is trying to manage the very rapid growth in Forsyth County. But I think we've done a really good job uh, with that. Uh, We're in a pretty good position right now in terms of our facilities. And in spite of our growth, one thing I'm really proud of is our kids continue to achieve at a very high level. Uh, Graduation rates were just announced from 2021. And Mm. for the third consecutive year, we're over 96% graduation rate, which is, you know, very, very impressive for a large uh, metro uh, school system. So that's something we're really proud of. That's fantastic. Yeah, I saw your tweet about that, 96%. Um, I like your Twitter feed, by the way. It's really it 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 shows everything you have going on, and with so many students, so many teachers, and so many schools, you have something going on every day, don't you? Yeah, it's busy, busy you know, but it's a good busy. I, yeah. I really enjoy getting out into the field and 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 visiting uh, teachers and, and students in the classrooms to really keep a pulse on what's going on uh, district wide. And again, I, I'm just super proud. And I, I tell people all the time. I, I'm, I don't have children in our school system. My children are, are all grown now. Uh, <laughs> but if I did have children, uh, I would put them in any school in Forsyth County. And I say that with zero hesitation whatsoever. They're different yeah. because our community is, is very diverse. However, they're all very, very good with great resources, great community support. And, and again, I put my child in any school in our school district. I mean, nine years, 1,400 students a year. I mean, that's just incredible on on that level. I mean, the building that must be going on and people moving in, is that area continuing to grow that you see? Is that just what the plan for the future is as far as what you can tell? It is. As we track this, we we think we're going to continue to see 12 to 1,400 students a year for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Um, Honestly, uh, you know, and I say this quite proudly, one of the reasons folks continue to move into our community is because of the results of our school system. You know, if you talk to folks at our Chamber of Commerce, they will tell you, you know, the leading economic driver for Forsyth County is Forsyth County Schools. And, you know, parents who can shop around and can afford to live where they want to, you know, in this day and age, 
Yeah. You know, so many folks work remotely yeah. that there is an opportunity oftentimes to, to move and, and live where you want to live and your job doesn't necessarily dictate where you're going to reside. And because of that, we continue to have a large amount of folks moving to our community. Now, I think for your viewers, um, our listeners, it'd be interesting to note, we are one of the fastest growing uh, Asian Indian populations in the entire country. Mm. Uh, that, that number of students percentage-wise is now over 25% of our student body, primarily coming from India, right. uh, but, but many of them uh, from from other Asian countries as well, including uh, South Korea, Japan. So our Asian population has grown tremendously in the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, that brings fantastic diversity, opportunity, challenges, as well as a whole different kind of community engagement, doesn't it? When you expand and you bring in just people from all over the world, and it sounds like there's plenty of job opportunities as well in your area. Well, Metro, I mean, Georgia has done really well yeah, uh, through, through COVID. You know, that's our true. economy is very strong. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're, we continue to be one of the number one uh, states in the country to do business. And, and because of that, there are opportunities for folks here in our state. And uh, again, oh, yeah. having a strong public school system is a, is a huge draw for, for our community. It is a challenge to keep up with it. Of course. Not just for us, but also, you know, for our county and, and our one municipality in yeah. our community. Um, you know, traffic is, is an issue. It's hard. You, know, you don't build roads quickly. No, um, and, and so <laughs> trying to keep up with, uh, you know, the logistical uh, stuff that a community deals with has been has been a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think from a school system perspective, we, we've handled it about as well as we possibly could. I mean, you mentioned building roads quickly and you mentioned your infrastructure you've had to build as well. Yeah. Building schools, building everything associated, that isn't a quick process either, is it? It's not. You know, I tell people, you know, <laughs> to build a high school, for example, it's about a two-year process. Yeah. A middle school, you can do in about 18 months, and an elementary school, about a year. And the reason a high school takes longer, obviously, is you have a, a lot more uh, athletic facilities. For example, True. at a high school, uh, it requires a lot more acreage. For us, it's about 100 acres to build to build a new high school, yeah. and we have built three of them in the nine years I've been here, uh, <laughs> two, tra two traditional high schools uh, and a non-traditional high school, which is a school of choice. Students mm. apply to get into that school. It's called the Alliance Academy for okay. Innovation. It's a career tech pathway high school, does not offer athletics or drama or music. It's all career-based, career-themed. Uh, all built around, you know, the jobs that are available today. For example, uh, at our Alliance Academy for Innovation, we have yeah. an aerosp aerospace pathway. Ooh, uh, we like actually that. have flight simulators where students can learn to fly an airplane. They're taught by a retired Delta pilot, which is a pretty cool experience. We have right. cyber Home base, in Atlanta. Yeah. Right. De Delta Space out of Atlanta. Uh, we have cybersecurity in that school, which is a very uh, growing field right now. So we try to work closely with our Chamber of Commerce, the Georgia Department of Labor, to make sure we're offering programs in that school where kids can graduate from high school and oftentimes graduate with indus industry certification and move right into a career or certainly can move into college and have some college credits that will help them graduate perhaps even earlier. 
So that's a school of choice. That's interesting. So was that part of um, you're in the board's ideas? Like, how did you come up with the idea? Was that yeah, open during I, your tenure? I should yeah, say. great, great question, Dave. And when I started about nine years ago, uh, I was approached by the Chamber of Commerce mm, uh, and mm. others in our community about the idea of creating an innovative uh, school of choice in our community. And we brought together local universities, the University of North Georgia, our local uh, career uh, uh, college, which is Lanier Technical College, oh, yeah. uh, nice. the community, the chamber, uh, the, the city of coming. And we came up with this idea of let's, let's build a centrally located high school. Students have to apply to get in. So okay. they have to show interest. We're going to build it smaller. It, it, it only holds about 1,200, where our other high schools, we have more than 2,000 kids. In fact, <laughs> one of our high schools has 3,000 kids. That's big. So our high schools are quite large, yeah. but this particular high school is smaller by design. Okay. And again, students yeah, yeah. have to apply to get in. They have to show an interest in a particular uh, career-based program. Uh, and last year, David, they had a 100% graduation rate, which tells me, which shows me students who are engaged in application-based learning. In other words, they are not just sitting and getting, they are doing. Right. Uh, they're using their hands. They're problem solving. They're thinking critically. You know, they are being creative. Uh, they're collaborating. Uh, those kids uh, thrive in, in that particular environment. So we're looking to see how can we capitalize on that in our traditional high schools yeah. to make sure there are plenty of opportunities for students, again, to get that app application-based education. I love that. I mean, you must have some interesting alumni stories that come out of there and just to get their feedback about the experience and the parents' feedback must be very powerful. Well, the Alliance Academy is only in its fifth year of operation, but okay. I will dare okay. say five <laughs> or six years down the road, you're exactly right. You know, we have students now who obviously have gone on to college and they've yeah. career, uh, continued stud to study in that particular um, career tech program they were involved in in high school, but very few of them have graduated from college yet. But right, I would right. dare say they will come back and they will be a great resource uh, for that school moving forward. Because as I talk to kids there, yeah. they love that experience. Oh, see, that's just fantastic. Now, are you a pilot now too, because you have that academy? <laughs> I was formerly in the Air Force, but I never did fly a plane. So oh, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> you were in the Air Force. Now, did you? were you in the Air Force in Maine at some of the Air Force up there? Because I noticed I you had Maine in your background. Yes, I was actually stationed at Loring Air Force Base, which is no longer in existence. Mm -hmm. um, it was in, in Limestone, Maine, which right on the Canadian border. So when I was in, uh, we were still involved in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. So that base was a very strategic base uh, for the United States. Uh, we, we were full of nuclear weapons. We were literally the first line of defense if there was an attack from the Soviet Union. And we would have been the first line of offense if we had um, uh, attacked. So there were lots of nuclear weapons on that base, very strategic at that time. But once the Soviet Union kind of fell apart, there really wasn't a need for that base any longer. So it has since closed. Uh, but I was there from 1984 to 1988 and, and really had a great experience. I tell people all the time, yeah. you know, I, I've been very blessed. You know, I, I have I have three degrees from college, you know, a mm -hmm. bachelor's, a master's and a doctorate. But I will tell you, my four years in the Air Force was every bit as beneficial 
uh, as any of those degrees that I have hanging on the wall. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about communication and collaboration and teamwork. And and those uh, attributes have served me well over the past 33 years. So I'm very proud of that service. I'm a third generation veteran. My dad was 20 years in the Air Force. My grandfather was 20 years. I have three brothers who all served and and, and we're very proud of that. And and it was a great experience for me. That's fantastic. Now, did you do ROTC during that time? Is that how you ended up there? No, I did not. You know, it's kind of interesting. Now, I was one of those kids and I love to tell this story when I talk to high school kids. When I graduated from high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) And, you know, I, I, I was working different jobs. I went to college part-time and and really no rhyme or reason. And when I was 21, I said, you know what? I'm just going to join the Air Force and see if I can figure it out. And it was really the smartest thing I could have done because through that experience, I had the opportunity to coach basketball at a high school Mm. uh, that was affiliated with the Air Force base. And it was from that coaching experience that I realized Oh, this is what I want to do with my life. I had never considered being a teacher, never even crossed my mind. But after I coached basketball for for literally for about three or four months, I decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish my tour of duty. I'm going to get my degree in education and I'm going to be a teacher and a coach. And if you had asked me 33 years ago what I'd be doing now, I would have told you I'm going to be teaching and I'm going to be coaching because I absolutely loved it. And now you are teaching and coaching just at a different level. Whole different you're, kind of you're, teaching. You're coaching. so right. You're yeah. so right, David. That, that I really do believe that's what leadership is all about. It yeah. is about effective yeah. teaching, effective coaching strategies. Uh, and again, the things I learned in the classroom and the things I learned as a basketball coach and what I learned in my service uh, with the Air Force has served me very well in the different leadership positions I've held in public schools. You know, I'm I'm originally from New England. I always like to tell people I'm uh, okay. raised by Midwest Cleveland. My parents are from Cleveland, raised by mis- Midwesterners in New England. You know, yeah. and that part of Maine is incredibly cold and snowy. You better I, believe it. <laughs> I mean, there's it probably gets more snow than anywhere else in the lower 48 when you think about it on that borderline. Um, I've had friends who've actually worked at that Air Force base many, many years ago, and it's just they describe what it was like. I was like, they're like, yeah, you step out of the woods, you're gone there. Just incredible. It's Isn't very, it? ro- very remote and it, very cold <laughs> and lots of snow. I remember we had a January when I was up there. The temperature never got above zero the entire month. And I'm not talking wind chill factor. I'm talking the actual temperature. So uh, you're talking 20, 30 below zero, yeah. uh, lots of snow. Uh, it's a really, there, a lot of tough people live in Northern Maine. I can tell you that <laughs> right <true>. now. <laughs> You know, you mentioned Atlanta area. Uh, my wife bleeds orange. She's a Home Depot employee. Okay. Um, so, and you know, that's obviously big in that area. I know there's, it's huge, but it's, it's kind of fun to have that, you know, connection that in that area with, with that in mind, um, your partnerships and the things that you've done with the chamber of commerce, com- commerce, commerce and around, how do you, you know, keep engaged with those folks still and looking forward and with the teams that you have, I would imagine you have a pretty significant portion of your team that works with those kind of partnership opportunities. 
Yes, all, all the time. You know, we have a very active partners in education program. Uh, many of those businesses, they like to partner with individual schools, which we love yeah. because they provide a lot of support and resources. And when I say resources, I don't mean necessarily financially or financial resources, although some of the times that is the case. But but often what they provide are, are uh, expertise in, in certain right. areas. For example, right. The Alliance Academy taps into many industry professionals who will come in and talk to our students about jobs, again, in cybersecurity, uh, our mechatronics, uh, are the, are, are in, in the legal career field, career field because we have a, a school of law uh, at the Alliance Academy. So we really That's do cool. tap into our business partners and our chamber is a great way to do that because so many of our business partners are members of the chamber as well. And I sit on the chamber board of directors. So I have access to all those folks. They are incredibly uh, generous in their support of our school system. It's amazing what the chambers do when you start to get to know how invested they are in the local community and how supportive they are of each other and their businesses and the schools, like you said, because good schools bring good people who want to build businesses and invest in the community. It really does spin on itself, doesn't it? It does. And I'll tell you where I think our chamber really thrived was, was during COVID. You know, mm. businesses all over the country, all over the world were trying to figure out, you That's know, true. how are we going to make Brutal. do through through the pandemic, especially early on when we really didn't know what we were dealing with and folks were being quarantined left and right and businesses were being shut down and, and folks were working remotely. Our chamber work so closely with our business community to come up with creative, innovative ways to continue to serve our public. You know, restaurants uh, had to get very creative, you know, more more to-go opportunities. And uh, I I just think they did an amazing job of helping, especially the small business owner in our community, uh, get through a very, very challenging couple of years. Boy, boy, was that challenging. I'm sure with the number of schools and parents and community members you're communicating with, that created a whole new way of how you had to organize yourself. And are you still using those methods of organization now to keep yourselves we are, you know, David, in touch learned, with everybody? What we learned uh, going through the pandemic is that we can offer parents more choice than we ever did before. And, you know, before the pandemic, we did not have a K-5 virtual experience. Mm. We did six through 12, but it was uh, asynchronous. In other words, students were were not learning in real time. They were going on and uh, listening to, you know, a a teacher podcast or or, or a lecture or reading assignments and then responding. Well, what we learned through COVID is, we can certainly offer a synchronous virtual experience and we are doing so a K-12 now. And we have several hundred students, K-5, learning virtually because the parents are choosing to do that. It works for their family. And I I love the fact that through that experience, we learned so much about how to engage students in a virtual learning environment that now parents and families have more choices than ever before. I, I've often said school does not need to be an eight to three experience for every child. <laughs> right. uh, and for some families, eight to three doesn't work. Yeah. And so it's incumbent upon us to work schedules that meet the needs of our students and our families, not the other way around. 
Uh, that's really true, isn't it? I mean, of the superintendent I've spoken with, how they have more virtual academy opportunities now, and parents are taking advantage of it, and the, and the educational quality hasn't suffered. And that's got to be feel good to know that, okay, when my kids in your district, I was thinking my kids, that's why I would call them and fire you. I'd be like, these are my kids, right? Um, when they go from fifth in the virtual into sixth and beyond, that you know they're prepared for that next level. Yeah, I, I, I would say there's no question there has been some learning loss nationwide because of COVID. Yeah, but I yeah. would dare say school systems like ours uh, manage that um, a little bit better because, mm. again, we gave parents so many choices. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. Our yeah. graduation rate has not suffered. We're still over 96%. SAT scores were just released. Once right. again, our students lead all large systems in Georgia in terms of how well they're performing. So as we look at our metrics, there's no doubt there was there was a bit of a learning loss through those two years, but not as exaggerated as it was in other systems where kids were not really engaged for a prolonged period of time. That's and that's true. concerning to me, not only as an educator, but as a citizen, that we had students pretty much disappear for a couple of years uh, and so we're true. not, and we're not engaged at all. We didn't have that experience really in Forsyth County, but some parts of our country did. And, and that's a lot, a lot of learning to be made up for a lot of kids in our, in our country right now. It, it definitely certainly is that way from, from the standpoint of what I've seen, my kids go through our local schools and, the transition back and what that has all meant for everyone to catch up and just to kind of re-engage in the cycle and the, and the whole, um, you know, the whole routine of school and what that means it's changed. You know, when I think about your district as large as it is, and I think about what most of us don't know about big districts is like your superintendent, who are your, who's the team that's helping run everything. We know the teachers are there because they're day-to-day -day and the front office staff at the schools. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the superintendent, who are your, who's your layer of administration that you work with day-to-day -to, -day to keep things running? Tell yeah. us about that. Like, like most, most large systems, I have a cabinet that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, those folks direct certain departments. For example, human resources is led by, by an associate superintendent. Yeah. Um, teaching and learning is led by an assistant superintendent. We have a chief financial officer. We have a chief facilities officer, a chief communications officer, a chief technology officer. So I work closely with all those folks on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. to make sure sure our schools have the resources and support they need to be successful. What, what I tell anybody we hire at our county office, our job, there's two jobs in education, David, either you're a teacher or you're supporting teachers. You're That's one true. of the two. I like one that. Of the two. I and like so that. those of us who are not in the classroom, our job is to support teachers. I tell everybody who works here, it's up to mm. us to make the job of the building principal as doable as possible so he or she can make the job of the classroom teacher as doable as possible. And so we take great pride in providing excellent customer service to our building principals because I need for them to be the instructional leader of their school. If they are busy 
putting out fires left and right. They're, they're busy trying to, you know, That's take true. care of maintenance or our transportation issues, our food service <laughs> issues. They can't be the instructional leader of the school. Yeah. So we try to take as much off of their plate as we can in terms of the operations, the, the, the day-to-day, the nuts and bolts, facilities, maintenance, cleanliness, you know, buildings and grounds, all that stuff we try to Huge. take care of so the building principal can be the instructional leader of their school. We yeah. give our principals a lot of autonomy in Forsyth County. I would dare say, when people ask me, you know, what's the secret sauce here? We're very clear about our expectations as a district. We yeah, have a strategic yeah. plan. We have a roadmap. All, district, all schools must follow that. But the how, how principals get there will vary from school to school. And we're okay with that. Not only do I support that, the Board of Education supports that and our community supports that. And so, like I said earlier, we have, we have now eight high schools in our district. You know, one high school, Lambert High School, yeah. may look completely different than North Forsyth High School in terms of the how they are, sure. they are getting things done. But the expectations, the outcome is the same for everybody. I like that. I mean, that kind of, you're right, that kind of autonomy with people knowing the strategic plan and where they have to go and those expectations make a big difference on what, they're, what they feel their boundaries are and what they can do. And I'm sure they bring ideas to the table. I'm sure the kind of conversations you have just with your high school principals alone must be interesting on a regular basis. Yeah, they share with one another. They network with one another. They they kind of cherry pick, you know, okay, that might work in my community where, okay, that may not work in my community. You know, the, the, the thing I always tell our leaders is this. I think the key to leadership is simplicity. I think you have to be clear. You have to be concise and you have to be consistent. And I think when you are clear about your expectations and those expectations are concise, people see that as very doable, and then you're consistent about what those expectations are, right. then I think you have uh, the, the, the strategies in place where, where your schools and your, your leaders and your teachers, and more importantly, your students can thrive. I like that. The, the three C's, that makes a big difference, right? Because that when you always go back to that and you know it's the students and the teachers and supporting the teachers that changes the game, it, it makes that conversation very central to everything that you're doing. Um, and, and part of the support now, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this from other folks you, you've interviewed, you know, the social and emotional well-being yes. of students and staff yes. uh, is more critical now than ever. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Certainly covid was a setback for all of us in terms of social skills. You know, students got so accustomed to everything digital, being on their phone all the time, that just learning to interact in a social environment has been a challenge for many students coming back to school. And so we've had to recognize that. We've also had to recognize that when students have been isolated, just like adults have been isolated for such a prolonged period of time, mm-hmm. that that can do some damage in terms of your social and emotional well-being. So we are very uh, in tune with and try to be in tune with the needs of both students and staff alike to make sure that they are prepared to learn each and every day. I tell people all the time, you know, yeah, if kids point. are homeless, if kids are hungry, if kids are being abused, they can't access their learning. Yeah, and, no. you know, when you have 54,000 children like we do, 
you're going to have kids who fit in those categories. That's you're going to have homeless children. You're going to have hungry children. Unfortunately, you're going to have children dealing with abuse and or neglect in their lives. Yeah. And we can't ignore that. We have to deal with that so that they can access their learning. Because if we just pretend it doesn't exist, how in the world will they ever learn language arts, math, science, and social studies if their very basic needs are not being met? And those needs have really been exaggerated over the last couple of years, more than I've ever seen in my 33 years in education. I mean, it's just incredible to hear with as long as you've, as many times as you've been superintendent and the different places you've been superintendent to, to know that that, I mean, it wasn't a year, it wasn't six months, a year, it was two years of this. And that does create habits after a few years. It's not just a quick thing. It's a long-term impact that we have to change and think about. And you're right, especially within the schools, everybody I've talked to has had those kind of challenges come up. And within a diversity of school, you talked about you know your your graduation rate, the incredible people moving in, those that don't have much, and then everything in between, right? You have everything in between. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you, you said talk, talk about long term. You know, the long term impact is yeah. so true. You know, we've been dealing dealing with COVID really for us. We shut down in March of 2020, probably like most systems yeah. throughout the nation. And so you go through a couple of years of that. You know, in order to uh, bring children back to where they need to be. You don't flip a switch and make that happen. You know, you, you dealt with this for a couple of years. Yeah. So your solution is a multi-year solution as well. You, you're just not going to flip a switch and get students caught up and, and, and deal with, with the learning loss that, that, that they dealt with in just a matter of a couple of months. So you really need to have long-term strategies. And for us, Part of that is making sure we have extended day opportunities for kids who need it, right. extended year opportunities for, for kids who need it. Uh, we, we, we have a, a lot of volunteers in our school system uh, mm. who mentor for us. Those That's relationships great. are critically important. So, again, it's making sure we understand the individual need of each and every child and making sure we, we provide the resources and support as best we can to each child and to each family. I love hearing that. You know, it's it's a little different. When I worked with university admissions for many, many years, you know, enrollment, financial aid, and those things, we, you know, we'd have 30, 40,000 applications a year, and you have students. And I would always talk to my team about we need to know where anyone is at at any given point in this process, which means our systems have to be humming along so we can truly know when someone has a question or something's going on that we can go and go, oh, okay, we know where they're at and we know how to address it and pull people together to deal with it. Um, I would imagine you have similar things that happen within your your county schools. And, and as far as your systems and your data management, it must be pretty intense operations that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you, you do. I mean, you, you have to follow a lot of different different metrics, obviously. Yeah. And there's a lot of data coming at you all the time. And yes. you have to be able to disaggregate that data, make sense of that data, put your school improvement plans based on data. But we have to remember, we're not dealing with data. We're That's dealing right. with children. Yeah. We're, de we're dealing with people. One, one of the things I'm most proud of in our school system and if you don't mind, I'll transition to this for a moment. Of course, you yeah. Know, one, of, one of the probably uh, leading challenges for, for, for school systems all over the country right now is school safety. I mean, yes. you know, we look at what happened in Uvalde, Texas back in the spring, yeah. and, and that creates so much angst 
uh, for parents and communities and understandably so. Look, I'm, I'm a dad. You know, my, my children are grown, but, you know, I, I certainly remember what it's like sending them to school. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as a parent, what do you want more than anything else? You want your children to be safe, right? Safety. I mean, that's, yep. that's the number one thing you want. And so for us, back after the Parkland, Florida uh, incident in 2018, mm-hmm. what we did we brought in law enforcement and our school safety team. And we said, look, we're going to do an audit of every school in our school system to see if there's any mm-hmm. gap, anything we can do to make sure our facilities are as safe as possible. Well, that right. was important. And some things were identified. But more importantly, what came out of that conversation was, you know what? Yes, it's important to have our facilities be safe, but we need to be focused on children in crisis. And what are we doing for those kids to make sure they never get to a point to where they say, my life isn't worth living and neither is anybody else's. I mean, how does an individual ever get to that point? And so instead of just focusing on facilities, we created what we call a student advocacy specialist uh, program in our school system. Hmm. We now have eight full-time employees And all they do, David, their only responsibility is to work with high-risk kids. And we have eight eight full-time staff members, and that's what they do. When we identify a child who we think has shown um, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, uh, someone who is dealing with a crisis in, in their life, instead of a counselor or a social worker trying to handle that along with everything else they do, we have these student advocacy specialists that work one-on-one with these kids. And some of these kids, they meet every single day. Some of them, it's once a week. Some of it's once a month. It depends on what the needs are. These eight student advocacy specialists are on call 24-7. Those students have their cell numbers. Their students' parents have their cell numbers. and, And they are told, call anytime if something's going on in your life and you just need to talk with somebody. I will tell you of all the things we've done or all the things I've been involved in in 33 years, I think this may be the most significant investment we've ever made because I know without a doubt, because I've heard parents tell me this, that relationship between my child and your student advocacy specialist probably saved my child's life because my child was lost and I didn't know how to handle it. And you provided resources, you provided support, but most importantly, you provided someone who cared about my child, Mm -hmm. who got to know my child, invested in that relationship. And that relationship changed the the trajectory of my child's life. That to me cannot be understated. It's such a significant investment. So again, not to be redundant. No, Facilities have to be safe. That's important. Of course. We've yeah. all learned lessons from different school shootings <laughs> that happened over the years. But I'm telling you, the investment in kids and getting to know them well trumps that every single time. I love to hear that. Uh, you, your district having people available and really reaching out to those who need it versus just waiting. Because if you wait, no, there's no reason why someone wouldn't necessarily come forward unless they have the personality that says they'll do that. But most of us don't, right? Well, when we're in right. pain, we withdraw. So the fact that you're reaching out and have that available and the parents know it too, that is huge. 
Well, we just adopted a new strategic plan uh, back at the end of last spring, and I can sum it up in three words. <laughs> we want our students to be safe. We want them to be connected and we want them to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so part of, you know, being safe is making sure kids have connections, connections with an adult, connections with one another. You know, we offer so many clubs and activities. And the reason we do what we have found students who are connected. Absolutely. Students who find that little family, that home away from home, whether it's a club or an activity, those kids typically thrive. And so, again, safe, connected. You do those two things. Chances are those kids will thrive. That's our strategic plan in three words. I love that. I, I know I keep saying that, but that, that's exciting because you're right. Even I mean, if we think about as adults, how do we operate? Similarly, we get involved in small groups of people who are connected to. We have affinity groups. I mean, we have tennis buddies. You, know, you have golf buddies. You have people you play cards with, people you hang out with. And those groups keep you connected in a different way. And the fact that the kids have that opportunity and you have teachers facilitating and volunteers facilitating and keep an eye on. Amazing. So much why great do, stuff going on. You know, why, why do children join gangs? Yeah. You know? They they join gangs because that's their family, that's their that's connection. Right. It's yep. not a it's not a good choice, obviously, and typically they're involved in things we wouldn't want them to be involved in. Yeah. But why why do kids gravitate towards that? Because kids need a sense of connection. They yeah. need a bond. They need family. So is it going to be a positive one or a negative one? In Forsyth County, we're trying to be very proactive to make sure those connections are very very positive. I love that. I, that's just like, that's like the high note we can even end on right here. I like that. That's such a great conversation. Um, I really appreciate it, Dr. Bearden. What a, I mean, so much going on. We can keep talking for hours. That's for sure. And it's fun to hear your excitement, your energy, and, and how much you love the kids and your community. It's obvious to me. And, and, well, and they're lucky to have that. you as a leader. I'm very fortunate and blessed. Well, I'm, I'm, lucky, to, I'm lucky to be here. I, I feel very blessed. I, I work yeah. in a community that supports public education, uh, that provides us a lot of resources. They have high expectations, but I'm fine with that because they do provide the resources and support to meet those expectations. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel incredibly fortunate. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show today. I really appreciate having the opportunity to represent our state and our community. You're welcome. You're welcome. We'll definitely have to do it again, see how it's going next year. Um, so as you add that, you know, 1,400, 2,000 students again, what a pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Bearden. Thanks, David. Take care. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.